0: as we ask God to help me speak God's words to us so that we might be encouraged and helped and built up in Christ. Let's pray together. God and Father, thank you for sending your only Son, Jesus, to earth to become our resurrection, to become our life, our hope of life over death. Lord Jesus, comfort us with the knowledge that when we grieve, you also grieve. When we weep, you also weep. When we suffer and when we lose our loved ones. Thank you for being our sympathetic high priest who understands what we're going through. Help us to see that you and you alone, Lord Jesus, are our only source of hope and resurrection and new life. And I pray that if someone here is new to Christianity, I pray that you would help them to see that they can receive this resurrection hope in their life by coming to faith in you and what you've done for them on the cross. Lord Jesus, you know I'm a piece of work, you know how weak I am, and I need your help and your power and your anointing in this moment to speak your words from the Bible well and clearly so that we are all helped and encouraged in Christ. Through Christ we pray. Amen.
1: The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here Jesus wept then the Jews said see how he loved him but some of them said could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth round his face. And Jesus said to them, "Take off the grave clothes and let him go."
0: All right. I now invite uh, Arnell. Or do you have a scripture to read? Yeah. No, that's okay. Let's. We'll skip that. We. I tried to confirm, and it didn't work out. So let's move on. Um, We are continuing our current seven-part sermon series. This will take us right up until Easter in just a few weeks. And the current series is entitled, uh, Jesus, I Am. And the plan is really we've been looking at, we're going to be looking at seven monumental, massive I Am statements that Jesus makes about himself in the Gospel of John. And this is important because in our world today, Thank you, Internet. There are all kinds of different crazy ideas about Jesus and what Jesus has done and about the identity of Jesus, and so everyone's confused about Jesus. And so, therefore, what you and I need is to unlock the truth about who Jesus is, to discover it for the first time, maybe rediscover it, uh, and, and look at this real Jesus that we see in the Bible. We can trust the Bible because the words in the Bible are true words from God for us. Now, the fifth I am statement that Jesus makes about, it, about himself and that we are examining today is where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And to set up this idea and this teaching, I want to ask you, are you enjoying the recent spring warm weather that we've had over the last couple of weeks? I certainly have. Interestingly, when I was a younger person, I really love spring. In fact, I may have been addicted to spring, okay? Maybe it was because I lived in a northern climate, Grand Prairie, Alberta, way up there, 13, 14 hours drive straight north, and, uh, you know, after enduring nine or ten months of that, by the time spring rolled around, I was ecstatic and excited because now we could actually leave our homes without freezing our faces off like Jack Nicholson there. And uh, so spring was inspiring. Spring was everything. But now, you know, I'm a little older. And I actually appreciate winter a lot more. Yes, I live on the West Coast. That probably has a lot to do with it. But you see, without winter, I wouldn't appreciate how beautiful and invigorating spring is. But as you've noticed over the last week or so, the cherry blossoms have finally emerged again and just sort of burst forth out of the branches. And again, this happens every year. They come out in January. We get this sort of hint of spring, this, this teasing from old man winter. And then we got slammed with two more months of winter. But anyhow, the cherry blossoms finally made their way out of the trees again. In fact, I want to trace this out, okay? Let's trace this out, this process. Here we have hopefully a picture of a cherry tree in the dead of winter this tree is frozen it appears to be lifeless there is no leaves there are no blossoms there are certainly no cherries and therefore no no cheesecake cherry pie okay uh sap has returned down below the ground where in the safety of where the roots are so they cannot be frozen uh and so there's you look at this tree there's no evidence of life on the outside no evidence of life but then spring comes And the cherry tree literally bursts with blossoms everywhere. Evidence of life all over the place, all over this tree. Everyone seeing this glorious tree says, how beautiful, how good, what an aroma. Unless you have allergies, bad allergies, where you're not actually saying anything when you come across this burst out cherry tree. You're just in a sneezing fit and you're actually very sad. But anyhow, question is, how did this tree go from appearing to be completely dead to now being completely alive? How did it go from death to life? Well, you see, this tree, it required, it needed outside help. Help from the warm sun, help from the tilting of the earth to usher in spring so there would be more sunlight and more intensity of sunlight. Really, help ultimately, if you think about it, you know, from God because he's the maker and designer not only of this tree, but of the sun and of everything. And my point is, I'm not explaining this to demonstrate my horticultural prowess. Believe me, I am anything but a horticulturalist, even though I'm a son of a farmer. But anyhow, I don't know what happened. Um, I am telling you this to paint a picture of the kind of death-to-life resurrection difference that Jesus Christ makes in any and all people who will trust in him, who will simply trust in him, rely on him, give your life to him. Um, The difference is between this cherry tree and a person who comes to Christ, the difference is far more substantial in a human being uh, going from death to life than the mere cherry tree going from winter to spring. But the idea is you need outside help to emerge kind of like that cherry tree emerges with beauty. And this is really important for you, for you and I to look at. I believe that some of us are here today. It's possible you feel like you know what, I am living in a spiritual winter. It is cold. My, my life feels like there's no purpose, there's no direction, there's no real change. I'm not really changing at all. In fact, I might be regressing the older I get. And deep down, you know it's time for spring. It's time to reach out to God, it's time to connect with God or reconnect with with God again. And that's the perfect response because we believe Jesus is the ultimate change agent. No greater transformation happens in a person until they meet Jesus and trust in him and depend on his power to change. So this Bible passage is helpful for us all. Maybe we're discovering it or rediscovering these truths and they are massive. What I want to share with you now is really the big idea that we see in our passage in John chapter 11. And here it is on the screen. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is your resurrection and life because he grieves over our suffering and death. He is our sole source of resurrection and spring-giving eternal life. And believing in him is the essential key to receiving this great hope. So here's the first reason in your notes. There is a sermon outline in your bulletin if you do want to follow along. It is amazing how uh, giggle-inducing it is to fill in those blanks uh, if you do want to do that. There's pens over there as well if you need that and some outlines. But the first reason in your notes why Jesus is your resurrection and life and my resurrection and life is this on that outline. Jesus grieves and weeps with us in our suffering and death. Jesus grieves and weeps with us in our suffering and death and death and in our winter. And we see this amazing truth, John chapter 11, verses 33 to 35. And in that story, remember the video? Uh, Jesus' close friend Lazarus has recently passed away and died. And here's the aftermath of Lazarus' passing. It says in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, "Lord, come and see." Jesus wept. So the Jews said, "See how he loved him." You see, to Jesus, we need to understand: to Jesus, Lazarus was not just an acquaintance. Lazarus was not just a coworker. Was not just a good buddy he might hang around with once in a while, maybe. Super Bowl Sunday every year. No, no, no. Lazarus was Jesus's very own close friend. We don't know to what extent, but he was a close friend. Jesus loved this guy like you love your close friend in that same way. And then Jesus comes onto this scene, and this is not a happy scene, this is a very sad scene. Everyone is bawling their eyes out. You ever come into a room and you notice everyone's crying, and you're just like, oh my goodness, what is going on? Well, that's the scene that Jesus is coming into. Everyone is bawling, at which point the shortest verse in the entire Bible says Jesus wept. Jesus wept, meaning we're not just talking about Jesus having some glassy eyes or some water in his eyes. We're not just talking about maybe one tear down the cheek of Jesus. We are talking about Jesus is bawling his eyes out. And when you weep, you are experiencing in that moment uh, deep, profound sorrow. You are, you are moved at the deepest level of who you are. And Jesus, in this story, is gut-wrenchingly he is weeping at the death of his close friend, just like we do when we lose a close friend. Furthermore, I believe that this deep sorrow from Jesus is kind of intermixed with another key emotion, and I believe That is, his weeping is intermixed with with some anger. Anger at the evil of death. Anger at the results of, of human sin. And this deeply upsets Jesus in this moment. Even though, you know, he's God, so he knows the outcome from Lazarus, as you saw in the video, was going to be very positive. He knows it's going to end very well for Lazarus. But in that moment leading up to that resurrection, he is crying his eyes out. And he's upset, he's angry. Here's a helpful quote from the ESV study Bible. It says, Jesus' example shows that heartfelt mourning in the face of death does not indicate lack of faith, but honest sorrow at the reality of suffering and death. Amazingly, over the years, I have encountered mostly longtime Christians who are at a funeral of a Christian. So a Christian has just passed away. And these long-time Christians, they're upset. You know why? They're upset because other people are crying and weeping over the loss of this Christian person. And their contention is, well, they're going to heaven. They're fine. Don't cry. Don't weep. And they're missing what Jesus did in this passage. No, there is a time for weeping and crying and getting upset over the results of human sin. Yes, Let's grieve and rejoice at the same time. That's what, we are to, what Christians are to do when a Christian passes away. But I digress. Some of you know that my wife Tammy and I have lost uh, three of four of our parents over the last few years. And our kids were quite young or much younger when this occurred, lost most of our parents. And, and our kids asked during around that time, why did Grandpa die? Uh, why did Grammy die? Why did, why did uh, grandma die? Why did they suffer so much uh, before they passed away? And uh, our grandmas uh, passed away of cancer and my dad passed away due to Alzheimer's. And, and so why, why are they gone? Why do they suffer? And we explained to them, the world's broken. The world is broken and it's broken by human sin. It first got broken by our first parents in the Garden of Eden when they sinned against God and they disobeyed God. And God, in response to their sin and their diso- disobedience towards him, God rightfully cursed humanity with suffering and death since then. And that was the consequence and that was the punishment for our disobeying and sinning against God. That's why the world's broken. You see... Here's the thing, though. You and I, we can't just blame our first parents. We just say, put all the blame on Adam. And If they hadn't screwed up, none of us, this world would not be broken and messed up like it is. There'd be no suffering and no death. But we can't just blame them, all right? The Bible's clear. All of us, every human who has ever lived and will live and lives today, we all share in this collective responsibility for why our world is so messed up, why there's so much death, and why there's so much suffering. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 explains this. It says, Therefore, Just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, that's a consequence. And so death then spread to all men because all sinned. So not only do we as human beings, we experience this, this brokenness and this suffering and death because of all of our collective sin. So does all creation. This is interesting. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 22. It says, For we know that the whole creation, so everything we see on this earth and planet and universe, all creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So even animate creation, the animal world, even inanimate creation, like the mountains, the, the oceans, everything's groaning. It's upset. It feels the weight and sort of the sadness of the curse that God has placed upon humanity and it's there because of our sin against God. It's like it's like creation is is feeling the pains of childbirth, which I have no idea is like, but from trusted sources I hear that childbirth is one of the worst horrific pains that anyone can go through. Okay? And I will never refute that. I don't dare refute that. It's very painful. Well, that's kind of what creation is going through right now because it knows something's wrong. Something is broken. Something is messed up. There's suffering and death everywhere. Just watch the news. Look at your own life. Look at your own family. We're all screwed up. The world's broken. But here's the hope. The hope is Jesus. And part of the hope that he gives us is the fact that Jesus weeps with us in our suffering and in our death. Jesus understands your pain. Jesus understands your suffering. He knows what it's like to lose someone whom you are close to. He sheds tears with you in those moments, I believe. talked about my parents, and I'll talk about my dad for a second, and for some reason, uh, my dad and his passing, it affected me much more than it did when my mom passed away, I sort of assumed that I'd be just a complete mess, and maybe that's coming still, the, the basket case, Kurt, is coming because maybe I've suppressed something but I grieved a lot more intensely for my dad, and it's probably because he battled Alzheimer's for 14 years and it was like the long goodbye the last thing though after I went up to Grand Prairie to take in the funeral and I came back uh, the last thing I wanted to do was come back here and it wasn't because I didn't love you. And I, I do love you. But I didn't want to come back to church um, after that funeral. Emotionally, I felt like I just couldn't face you guys. And, but I did. I'm glad I did. I, I came back to church. Well, it's kind of my job. You know, if you don't come back to church as a pastor, you kind of lose your job. Uh, so, you know, maybe it was more the, the, the paycheck than anything. I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm a mixed bag of motives, let me tell you. But I'm glad I came back that first Sunday. Because what helped me grieve the loss of my dad, it was you. It wasn't necessarily your comforting words and, 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 the, and your cards that you gave me as good as those were. Your words were good, the cards were good. I'm not saying those were bad. But you know what it was? You know what you did? What made the difference and helped me grieve the loss of my dad, it, it was your glassy eyes. It was your tears. It was... Your understanding, silence. Your looking me in the eyes. It was your look of compassion that you actually cared. It was your understanding. And just seeing that you were feeling some of what I was feeling during that time, that's what I needed. Thank you for that, by the way. And my point is more than anyone, Jesus knows you. And when you suffer, when those you love suffer, when those you love pass on and pass away, in those moments, he feels your pain. He is more aware of your pain probably than you are. And I think, I believe, he gets angry and upset over the effects of the curse and sin and death. I believe that he weeps when you weep. And so let this truth help you. Get through your suffering. And you're lost. No one... Here's... Do you believe... I don't know if you believe this, but I'll just tell you. No one cares more for you than Jesus. No one understands you more than Jesus. No one loves you more than Jesus. It is true. Let's move on to the second truth in our notes that we see in this passage. It's namely this, that Jesus is our source of resurrection and eternal life. He's our source of resurrection from death to life and eternal life. We get this from verses 23 to 25a there, and it says, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, Well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's thinking the day of judgment, in the very end of human history. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, what happens later in this true story you saw in the video? And by the way, that was just a video, okay? Okay. And you might be wondering, why did the words that were being said didn't match their, their mouths? And it's because they're trying to speak the original ancient languages to keep it as authentic as possible, just so you know, heads up. Uh, but anyhow, in the video, we understand, and in this passage, we see that Jesus does indeed raise Lazarus from the dead. I mean, he was dead and gone for days, four days. So he was dead, he was rotting in the, in the tomb. And now he's alive. And by the way, only a God can raise someone who is dead to life again. Only a God can do that. Jesus is God. Jesus proves his divinity that he is God when he raises Lazarus from the dead in performing this amazing miracle. But if you notice, Jesus does not just say that I will raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is not just saying that he can and will raise people from the dead in general. Rather, jesus says he is the resurrection he personifies resurrection he is all about turning death into life you see so resurrection and resurrection power and life that's a person jesus represents that in the best possible way resurrection has a name and his name is jesus christ Here's another helpful quote from the ESV Study Bible that explains this. This is a bit long, but this is really good stuff. Jesus does not merely say that he will bring about the resurrection or that he will be the cause of the resurrection, both of which are true, but something much stronger. I and the resurrection and the life. Resurrection from the dead and genuine eternal life in fellowship with God are so closely tied to Jesus that they are embodied in him and can be found only in relationship to him. This is a hard thing to get your mind and heart around. And the set of examples I'm going to share with you are not fully adequate. Okay, they might get us a little bit further to understanding this, and so I'll share them. This is kind of like saying Mark Zuckerberg is Facebook, or Jeff Bezos is Amazon, or my favorite, Gordie Howe is Mr. Hockey, all right? He's not just a hockey player, he defines hockey, and he's got the toughness. you got to have that. Remember the Gordie Howe hat trick, all right? He got the toughness. He could score goals. He was the full package. He's Mr. Hockey. He represents hockey. In other words, you can en- encapsulate and explain or summarize everything about these companies and about hockey and about sports by simply pointing to one person. And so it is with Jesus in a much bigger way. Resurrection life is what Jesus is all about for you. He is Hope, he is your only hope over this broken world of suffering and death in which you and I live. Thankfully, Jesus offers a way out of your suffering. He offers you a way out of death and hell and hopelessness and judgment for your sins. He offers you a way of escape out of your spiritual winter into spring where you start really living. And let me explain the gospel. The gospel, in your understanding of it, is so key. It is key in every possible way. Here's how Jesus became your resurrection and life. God the Father, he sent Jesus. God the Son. And he did so out of his great, rich, and immeasurable love for you. Your sins separated you from your holy God. And God was not satisfied with that separation and being apart from God, your maker. And so he made a way possible for you to know him. And the way possible was Jesus And he sent Jesus to earth 2,000 years ago to come and to live your perfectly moral life for you in your place because you can't do that and I certainly can't do that either. But he did so as your perfect representative. Later, Jesus died your death on the cross for your sins as your perfect sacrifice and substitute on that cross. Jesus wore all of your sins. He wore all of your sins even though he himself never once sinned. But he did that willingly out of love for you. And because he was wearing your sins on that cross, Jesus was judged for you. Jesus was forsaken for you. Jesus was cursed for you. He took the curse of sin onto himself in that moment. And in that moment, he paid the penalty of sin, which is physical and spiritual death. But then what happened three days later? Resurrection and life. You see, Lazarus' resurrection that happened just a few days before Jesus' resurrection. Lazarus' resurrection, that was the sneak preview of the movie. The real thing. Sneak preview of Jesus' resurrection of what would happen shortly. Jesus, he rose up from the dead. Now why in the world would Jesus rise up from the dead after being killed for us? He did so to defeat, to prove his victory over the curse of sin, prove his victory over Satan, sin and death for you, and for me. So you see, only Jesus' life and death death and resurrection can make you right with God, your maker. Only Jesus paid in full the price that you could not pay, that I could not pay. And now, at the moment that you trust in him, that you repent of your sins, that you are baptized into Christ, resurrection power starts to take effect within you. That's when eternal life Begins. We think eternal life begins when we go to heaven. No, eternal life begins the moment that you are born again, that you are raised to life within. That's when the resurrection power starts to really kick in. Here, now, today. So Jesus' resurrection begins to invade your soul. He, re- he replaces your sinful heart with a new heart, a fleshy heart. This new heart desires to follow Jesus. And one day, yes, you may die physically unless Jesus comes back. But that day of your physical death, that's just the beginning. That's the gateway to you living in HD, life in HD. Like Lazarus, your body, your dead body will rise up again. Oxygen will fill your lungs again. Blood will fill your heart again. Brain waves will fill your your brain again. And some people think there's, there's no brain waves going on up here now for me. I get it. But then brain waves will, maybe for the first time in my life, will infiltrate my brain it'll be fantastic look what uh first corinthians chapter 15 verses 42 to 44 say will happen to you on the day of jesus return when you are raised physically from death so it is with the resurrection of the dead what is sown is perishable what is raised is imperishable it is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory it is sown in weakness it is raised in power it is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So how is this possible? How is this possible for you? It's because your resurrection is Jesus' resurrection. Your resurrection is intimately tied and dependent upon the resurrection of Christ. That's how it works. So trust in this person. You trust in the person who defines new life, who defines love and mercy, who defines hope and power. All right, let's, press, let's take a breath. Maybe I just need to take a breath. It is not enough for you to simply hear this news about how Jesus is your resurrection and life. It is not enough for you to simply maybe understand some things about how Jesus is your access point and your doorway to eternal life. Why is that not enough? Because here's why. Jesus demands, he demands something from you. He demands a response. He demands a personal response to him. You've got to do something with this good news. It's not enough just to hear it. And that leads us to our final point in our notes, number three. It's a question, similar similar to the question that Jesus asks Martha, do you personally believe in Jesus and his resurrection power? Think about yourself. Do you personally own that, believe that, trust in that, rely on that, in Jesus and his resurrection power? I want to share with you verses 25b through to 27. Uh, Again, Jesus, he's pressing Martha here, by the way. He's pressing on her to respond to him. Jesus says to her and to you and I today these words. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe, this is the perfect response, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. In other words, Martha rightly responds to Jesus, rightly responds to his resurrection power, that she will witness for herself in just a few minutes as Lazarus is raised to new life. I want to ask you something, as I set up a bit of a quick personal story. Do you ever think about your impending physical death. Do you ever think about that day? It's actually, God is aware of that day of your passing. But do you ever think about that day on God's calendar, if you will, when you will take your last breath? Unless Jesus comes back, that's another story. But someday, your heart will beat its last beat, your brain will think its last thought before your physical body Expires. You ever think about this day? Now, I know what's happening in some of your minds right now. You're accusing me of being too morbid. Don't be so depressing, okay? Don't be so dark. But the reason I'm asking you to consider this question is this. Do you think that you will face the day of your death with fear or with courage? Will you face the day of your death with fear or with confidence and courage? Some of us in this room uh, remember AJ. You may, may remember AJ. AJ uh, attended the church for a few years with his family, and he passed away a couple of years ago. And he passed away after a, a four-year battle with cancer. Incredibly, he shared early on, after the cancer diagnosis, that... He was grateful for the cancer. He was grateful for the cancer. Who says that? Well, he said it because he knew. This is what he said. That it it took cancer to wake him up. Wake him up. To take seriously what Jesus is saying in this passage. That he and he alone is anyone's resurrection and life and hope. And man alive, the cancer woke him up. And did A.J. trust in Jesus? My goodness. The man, as Sunday after Sunday, he became, became more and more alive right before our eyes. And ironically, his body was looking worse and worse Sunday after Sunday but you see his family they could not believe the amazing inner changes going on in him during because all of a sudden AJ's priorities were completely shifted all of a sudden now thanks to Jesus family was more important than work family was more important than career Jesus certainly was much more important than career Church and being a part of his church family and serving became a high priority in his life. And so, in essence, thanks to Jesus and thanks to him coming to new life and the resurrection power beginning in him, he became all about serving others instead of serving self. That's what happens when Jesus gets a hold of your heart. You start to think about serving Jesus, serving others, versus serving Kurt all the time. And yes, Believe me, you wouldn't believe the amount of tears that were shed by him, by his wife Sarah, by the children, by our leadership team. We met together. We talked about it. There's a lot of tears, deep sadness. And he faced the reality of being away from his family at age 44. But the thing is, though, A.J. was not facing death. I'm sorry, A.J. was facing death not with hopelessness, he was facing death not with fear, facing death not with despair, but with hope and courage and confidence in Christ, his resurrection. And i got to say, over that four-year battle with cancer, it was rough. Many of you know what that was like for them. Well, that's it took the cancer in that situation for AJ to finally believe, finally trust in Jesus, finally trust in his resurrection power and when the broken world hits you like a Mack truck like that, that's when your faith in Jesus becomes really substantial and important because at that point you're forced to realize what is my life for is it for my career, is it for money getting more stuff or is it meant for someone else it's meant for someone else it's meant for Jesus. You were designed by him, made by him, crafted by him, just the way that you are now here today. You are meant to be in a relationship with God, to know him and to glorify him and display his character in and through your own life. That's why you're here. That's why anyone is here. He is your only hope. And when life hits you like a Mack truck, that's when you realize, what am I living for? I need to only be living for Christ. That's, that's what's really important. Why could I trust in anyone or anything else to give me the hope and the soul satisfaction and meaning that only Jesus can give me? Do you believe in Jesus? Let's move on. All right, let me land this plane, okay? Amazingly, this sermon is over. Incredible. Uh, I want to end this message with a call to action. I want to challenge you. Challenge your thinking. Challenge in, in how you're thinking about your own life and the call to action that I want you to be challenged with, that I want to be challenged with, Myself with are these points. Simply, would you grieve and weep with others in their suffering and death as Jesus did and does? So let's follow the example to love and care for and support others as Jesus exemplified for us. Secondly, can you remind yourself daily that Jesus' resurrection is my resurrection? Just tell yourself that. That's true. His resurrection is my resurrection. Without Jesus, I got nothing. But with Jesus, I got everything. Just remind yourself of that truth. And lastly, if you're not yet a Christian, I want to challenge you, is today the day you begin to place your personal trust, you placing your personal trust in Christ. And then, if you're a Christian, you've got to train yourself. Rest daily in this hope. Remind yourself that resurrection is coming for me by His grace. I don't deserve it. But you need to remind yourself of that truth Thank God for his, his resurrection power in your life and the hope of resurrection in your life. Thank you for that. Because I don't have to face death with despair. I can face it with hope. Let's pray together. Always struck by how good you are to us. Boy, we don't deserve any of this. And yet you offer it to us. That's how good and loving and patient you are with us. We are so grateful. I am so grateful for resurrection power for resurrection hope for resurrection life Lord I don't know where anyone is at here today I pray that you would make it clear in their own minds and hearts if they're not yet a Christian to take that next step of trust and faith in you just opening empty hands and saying yes to you I want what you're offering I can't earn my way to heaven I got nothing no moral goodness in and of myself I need you Jesus to save me from me and I pray that they would take that next step with courage knowing that you are real that you are true that you are their only hope of rescue Lord those of us who maybe are believers would you use us to weep with those who weep and to show your love in that way as we help people deal with the reality of our broken world and Lord remind us of your resurrection help us to speak these truths to ourselves in prayer or just to ourselves that you and your resurrection is our resurrection and that we have no hope outside of you. Lord, as we come to the Lord's table today, I pray that it would be a meaningful time of remembering your sacrifice on the cross for us and your resurrection. Through Christ we pray. Amen.